Asian Pop Nation on Sin 90.7. Welcome to tonight's show. You're going to be in for an awesome surprise because we're going to be talking about some big news happening in the Asian pop culture and music scene, including Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. The teaser trailer had just recently come out, so we're excited to be chatting about that. We're also going to be talking a little bit about a BTS meal that is going to be sold in a month's time at a particular fast food franchise. We can't wait. And of course, we're going to be talking a little bit about the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, which ended a couple of weeks back. And also, we have an interview lined up with Filipino and American artist Yeek. So stay tuned. And the last song you just heard was A-Pink's Thank You, which is their 10th anniversary special single. And we're also going to say thank you to Marvel, who recently released a teaser trailer for their upcoming film Shang-Chi. So let's hear what the AVN team of myself, Celeste, Aaron, and John Paul have to say. Some big news on Subtle Asian Traits lately has been the arrival of the new teaser trailer that has come out for Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which starts Simu Liu, who is from Kim's Convenience, a popular show about Korean-Americans. Well, that's how he rose to fame, I believe. And he stars as Shang-Chi, who in this film must confront the past he thought he left behind when he was drawn into the mysterious web of the Ten Rings organization. The teaser doesn't reveal too much, personally. I think it's probably a lot more for comic book fans. But the film also stars Tony Leong as Wen Wu, Aquafina as Shang-Chi's friend, Katie, and Michelle Yeoh as Jiang Nan, and Bala Chen, Mengo Zhang, Florian Montaigne, and Ronnie Cheng are also starring as part of the cast. So for us who have seen the teaser trailer, what do you think? Is this the Chinese-American, Asian-American Black Panther representation we're looking for? Or... What do we think? Celeste? You look like you have something to say, Celeste. <laughs> now it's waiting for someone to like just comment. But like, all right. I'm excited. I generally don't care much for Marvel movies in general because it's always about superheroes, people who are born with some weird power. And Shang-Chi in the trailer, they're like, he trained to become this person or something. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, he wasn't born with the skill. He trained really hard for it what the other people think uh, JP? Uh, there's there's this one shot i don't know if i can find it but there's a i think he looks like a villain it's like this skinny looking guy and in the background there's a bunch of ornamentation uh, i don't know i'm an artist so i, I just love the visual stuff the Asian aesthetics. yeah yeah wait give me uh, the rings in the background from the guy no no it's just that um just the ornamentation in general i don't know i really like chinese architecture in general especially like the ancient stuff so good to see that in more Marvel movies. How about you, Aaron? Well, it's Marvel, so I guess we're all going to be watching it for Faceful. But what I like about this movie is, well, particularly two things. One is the fight choreography, which mm-hmm. we saw in the trailer, which I thought it was really cool. But the second one, I'm glad I actually brought Tony Lengyu, who's going to play the Mandarin for this movie, which I'm glad. Because when Iron Man 3 came out, the Mandarin, it was just, no, nah, I really did not like it. I'm glad they got someone who can play the Mandarin for this movie now. Yeah, because the Mandarin, who, for those who don't know, is Wen Wu and is played by Tony Leung. He, I think in Iron Man 3, spoiler alert, there's a mention of the Mandarin, but we never actually get to see his face. Did we ever see anyone except the imposter, Aaron, played by Ben Kingsley? Uh, the, the two imposters? Yeah. Uh, no, they only mentioned him in one of this shorts video they have with a fake Mandarin. That's it. Yeah. Uh, pretty much it. And personally, I love Tony Leung. 
is like a Hong Kong acting legend and was in In the Mood for Love and a lot of Wong Kar Wai films. So I'm really excited because he's awesome. What I'm kind of interested though is whether this is going to feel much different to a martial arts film, especially that choreography where I think there was that woman in the Chinese traditional outfit and she was like kind of spinning in that forest scene in the trailer. It really gave a similar atmosphere feel to like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, where you have like, people with these incredible abilities of leaping really high, um, practically flying. So I wonder whether it's going to feel unique or whether it's going to be quite similar to those martial arts films that border between the magical and the real. What do you think? I don't know, to be honest. I honestly don't know. Yeah, it looks hella magical. Like, there were quite a few shots of, like, big armies clashing and, like, giant lions or whatever. Like, what's going on there? Yeah. Yeah. What I'm wondering is whether that's going to be a part of the film or if that's, like, a flashback. Because I'm not too familiar with the story of Shang-Chi compared to all of the other superheroes that we've seen within Mm. the Marvel Universe. This is probably the first where I haven't, we haven't really seen anything from the previous films. Like, for example, with Black Panther, we had a bit of an introduction to T'Challa in earlier films. Which was, Captain, which was Captain America's Civil War. Yeah. So this one, we're almost going in completely. Oh, I guess if you conclude Iron Man 3, maybe not completely, but that wasn't exactly much of an introduction to the Mandarin <laughs> as it was almost like a goose chase. But I'm excited and I hope everyone else is too. We'll probably be seeing it and reviewing it sometime later this year when it comes out in September here in Australia. But if you have some thoughts about Shang-Chi or maybe know a little bit more about Shang-Chi from the comments and want to give us a little, a few clues of what we might be able to expect, let us know at facebook.com forward slash Asian Pop Nation or on Twitter and Instagram by searching us at Asian Pop Nation. BTS. And this fast food franchise, we love you for this awesome collaboration, but our team is here to talk a little bit more about that. So recently there was an announcement from BTS saying that they were going to release a meal under a fast food restaurant, which is really popular. And it got the army super excited on Twitter because we weren't expecting it. It was just like random news that dropped. And so within this meal, it contains... Basically, something that they usually order, which is 10 nuggets, medium fries, a medium Coke with sweet chili and Cajun dipping sauce. Now, as a BTS fan, I don't really care that much. I mean, I love nuggets, but if it doesn't come with like a toy or anything, I'm not that keen on getting 10 nuggets for no reason. Speaking of fast food food and stuff and how BTSs have their own meal, what sort of meal would you consider as your fast food meal sort of like what's your typical order or something i'm so basic (laughs) (laughs) but i think something that would be cool is if this fast food company actually marketed their sundae with french fries like you get french fries and a sundae and you dip it in that because that's actually much better than it sounds i think a lot of people in the childhood have tried it have you has everyone else tried dipping french fries in yeah. yeah. On not Sundays, I dip it in ice cream or in a milkshake. Wait. Milkshake. I haven't tried that. Wait, French fries and what? Milkshake. <laughs> I 
Okay, that's a little weird. I've done it in ice cream, like that's all right, but in the milkshake? The milkshake dairy. Oh, uh, depends on what I get. So usually it's strawberry, sir. <laughs> what the? What if it, like it gets soggy and everything, right? <laughs> you just dip it. You don't leave it in. <laughs> you know what? That's my meal. That's my special. I am the strawberry milkshake with French fries, and you dip it in. Oh my goodness. What about you, Jungle? Like a typical meal? Yeah, what would be a fast food meal that embodies who you are as a person? That embodies who I am. Oh, what do you think would be (laughs) interesting to promote? Fast food hmm, that embodies me. I think it would just be like four nuggets in a box. Four? Not not even ten? Not even ten. Wow. Just four. I don't know. This is, that image fits me really well, I think. What about like, the sauce? Do you come with sauce? <laughs> no sauce. Nothing. Just pure, just a box. And four nuggets. You can survive on this. You could last it going to be week. like a big box that doesn't really fit four nuggets? Or is it going to be... Like, do you uh-huh. have room for disappointment? <laughs> <laughs> Like, is it meant to be like a 10 nugget box, but then it actually is just four nuggets? So then, Matt, you know, initially I was thinking of a small box, but now that you're saying that, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> Big box, four nuggets, that's all. <laughs> In terms of like, you mentioned toys earlier, Celeste. Yeah. Would you want like a BTS toy in a way? Yeah, what would you want if they were giving out BTS giveaways? Well, something that they usually do in their albums is, and this is for all of K-pop, for albums, they have little photo cards. So you get one. Oh. And it's just of one member. So it's a random pick of who you're going to get. And if the big TS mill came with photo cards, I will be there. <laughs> Man, that actually sounds I will buy cool. a few. The problem is I don't want to eat 10 nuggets. Um, I think that's a bit much. And yeah. to buy seven meals of this just to like in the hopes to get all seven members is it's a bit excessive oh you're gonna have to buy a lot more than seven because there's, there's a lot of luck i know yeah love rng uh, you know i was thinking like polaroids right that would look yeah cool. yeah Are they polaroid what cards. The cards look like like polaroid pictures or um no they're more like business cards but like with rounded <laughs> corners oh i see oh. yeah that's what all of ARMY is hoping for. Oh, my <laughs> we'll goodness. See. How about you, Aaron? What's a meal that you think encapsulates you? Me? Um, yeah. I just usually just have a double chicken burger with large fries. You're the most well-adjusted person here. <laughs> <laughs> what does that person mean? So oh, that's a good thing. Okay. You don't get a drink, Aaron? No, I always carry a drink with me. Yeah, that's one thing that I find whenever I go to a fast food place. I don't really want a drink. I just want the burger or the fries. Does anyone put in, like, their fries in anything? Because I know some people who put fries in their sandwiches or in their burgers. When I was a kid, I used to put it in my burgers just because it was fun to do. But was there any particular burger that was good for that? I always got a cheeseburger because I was a kid. (laughs) There's no other option. It worked out well because it was like, what, chips, cheese and tomato sauce in that one area where you put it on and then underneath was the patty. It it was nice. That sounds actually pretty good. And then that saves me from eating the fries after I finish my burger. Just have it all at once. It sounds very efficient. Yeah. Efficient eating. It's almost like 
we're just promoting like fries, but in peculiar ways. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Milkshakes <laughs> and ice cream in your burger. You know, I had a friend that did that, but also like he got his ice cream cone and he shoved it in the burger as well. Oh, so he wow. ate the whole thing wait, at once. Wait, was this one we? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think. Ah, uh, yeah. that's right. We had like a meeting with a group of friends for someone's birthday. And they had a burger, and then they were dared to put as much things in it as possible. Yeah, that was horrifying. Actually traumatic. I think we have a picture. Maybe we can send a picture later. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm curious, though, to try it. Like, oh. with everything, bit of ice cream, why not? <laughs> I'm more adventurous than like, yeah. the rest of the You'll experience some strange episode of enlightenment or something. <laughs> I feel like that's what would happen. <laughs> awesome. So if you're excited for the BTS meal, you can actually, I think. Hold on, hold on. It's in a month from now. Yeah, May 27th. Okay, one month. Not, not April 27th. <laughs> okay, starting exactly a month away. Looking forward to seeing the queues. I'm not sure if there will be queues if there aren't any prizes. If there are any toys and stuff, there won't be queues, I hope. But if there there were, I will be there first thing in the morning. Ignore my class and <laughs> oh, God. have all the workers judging me because I'm ordering nuggets in the morning. Yeah, it's normal, isn't it? Like ordering mm. nuggets in the morning. I don't like breakfast foods at fast food places, so I tend to order like nuggets and cheese. <laughs> I just get a wrap. That's it for breakfast. Ah, oh. and a bacon sandwich. Forget about that. I just got a big box with four nuggets. <laughs> will people if you go to a 24-hour restaurant will you be able to get it sooner than other restaurants i don't know i feel like they'd be like no nah, it's not available you got one more minute until midnight sorry i mean if i was working i'd be like no nah, wait that minute i'm sorry i can't no. <laughs> i wonder if those members of the bts army will get an advantage because if they work there Oh, <laughs> if any of the army out there, if you're listening and you work at this fast food place, can you leak some info on what's <laughs> happening? I'd really love to know. <laughs> See whether there are some interesting giveaways. Yeah. But yes, please do. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Asian Pop Nation. And we'd love to know some more insider info on this BTS fast food meal deal. Speaking of artists and performances, we're actually going to be talking to a Filipino and American artist, Yi, who has released an album recently called Valencia, a bit of a departure from his genreless music to a more R&B feel, but it's great. We definitely recommend it. But he's here to talk to us a little bit about the process of developing this project. So give it up for Yi. Hi, Yi. It's lovely to meet you. Nice to meet you. Thanks so much for agreeing to chat with us here at Asian Pop Nation on Sand. I first wanted to kind of chat about your album. It's been out for about a month now. Has there been any responses or from family, from friends and fans that have really stuck with you about Valencia? Yeah, honestly. Yeah, a lot. Yesterday I posted like this reel that was like asking people what their favorite song was. And this person wrote like asking me to choose a favorite song is like asking me to choose a favorite child and he's like i just couldn't do it and so he was just like implying that it was all good and i was like oh that was nice that kind of made my day (laughs) 
Yeah, definitely. It would be great to hear, I guess, from fans. And what have been some of the highlights now that it's sort of out in the world and it's been out for a month now? I think just like finally being able to slow down a little bit because I feel like we've been working so hard on this project for like two years. And it's just been like, you know, it's been fun. It's been like, been so grateful for the experience, been stressful at times. But it was nice to finally, to be honest, just like get a little break from it and just let people have it, you know, because I think this is the time where like, it's just everyone's turn to have it. And so like, be with it live with it maybe have some experience with it you know and i went back home to florida recently and it was kind of just my time to be like all right i'm taking a little break from the album for once and not like you know worrying about it that's one thing uh another thing was we did like this drive-in theater to um premiere the short film that we released with the album that was honestly a highlight of like my career <laughs> honestly <laughs> it was just so unique yeah so how did you know that it a uh, short film would complement the album really well and how did you kind of convince your cousin to be a part of the film <laughs> well yeah i think what i try to do with like my music and everything surrounding the music is uh just make what's genuine to me and authentic to me and also think about the story I'm trying to tell and just be mindful of the story that I'm trying to tell. And so I think I wanted to make something creative, but not also stress too much about like telling like a clear story because I wanted the short film to also be like up for interpretation of the viewer and the person was anyone receiving it. And uh, I think it just like comes naturally and it fits naturally with the world when you just like have fun doing it number one two just like be true and uh i think it just the short film came together so naturally with it and then convincing my cousin he had never acted or anything like that i think convincing him was like oh we're gonna have like a ps4 there and <laughs> we're gonna have like a place there we're gonna have food for you like it's gonna be fun and then he's like all right i'm gonna do it and then he ended up having a lot of fun i think his parents wanted him to like pursue acting and stuff no he, he was such a natural and like at that age you know it's hard to get someone at that age to act and stuff you know but it, he was such a natural and he like he did he, i agree he did great. <laughs> Yeah, the short film was awesome. I also wanted to ask you about the role family plays in your music. I wanted to ask if Valencia, if there was more emphasis on family this time compared to other works, or do you feel it's been quite consistent with family being inspiration for you? I think it's been quite consistent, but kind of emphasizing it in my music and in a project, this would be the first time, yeah. I think it slowly just started happening. Like my brother played in my band. Um, and we toured together and everything. Uh, and then my cousin got involved. He started like helping us with merch and just like stuff like that. I was kind of telling that story, you know? So like, because that was all happening, I, like the music I made was like music that I was making that was just telling the story of like what was ha actually happening, you know? So it was like, I was involving my family and having them go on toward me and like, you know, that's in my, like that narrative, that story is my music. I think family's always been a big part, 
but I think only recently I've, I've like implemented that in my music. And that was just really the theme for this specific project. I think moving far, you know, the themes will change, obviously, because I'm always going to be in a different part of my life. But I think for this specific theme, Valencia, it does involve like family, you know? Yeah. And in your previous albums and EPs, you mainly worked solo. What sort of made you switch from doing solo songwriting and producing to a more collaborative process with family and friends? Did you find, like you mentioned, it was kind of gradual or was it intentional? I think a little bit of both. I felt like it was necessary to kind of just put myself in a position that was a little uncomfortable, like as far as the creative process goes. You grow more as an artist and even just as a person when you put yourself in those situations. And I, I think it's important to try new things. And for me, I was just ready to try new things. Here at Asian Pop Nation, we kind of talk quite a bit about what our Asian heritage sort of means to us when we consume sort of Asian pop culture and Asian music. Do you think sort of being a part of Filipino-American culture influenced quite a bit of this album and in what way? Uh, yeah, 100%. I think that you don't experience a lot of Filipino-American culture in pop culture. There's not enough light being shed. And I think it's important to show a little more, for me at least. Just kind of like open the eyes of people who might not be familiar. And I just want to take pride, as Filipinos do. We're very prideful in our heritage. And we're always like, if we find out, there's an artist that's Filipino or even a boxer like Manny Pacquiao where just rep them till the end and be like, oh yeah, they are Filipino. That's one thing that I love so much about being Filipino-American. It's just part of me, you know, and I, I think there's still a lot of questions I have and things that I'm learning as I get older about what that all of that entails. With the title of Valencia, where did that come from? Is that while you were touring in, in Europe? Is that the name of is it a Spanish city or is it actually from something else? Yeah, it actually has no relation to the city in Spain. I've been asked that quite a few times, but it actually has to do a lot with Florida. And uh, mm -hmm. Florida has like a lot of communities, like gated communities and neighborhoods that are like called Valencia. And I lived in one of them. And when I moved there, it represented a time where I was really tapping into like my creativity as a kid, as a teenager, I was like recording movies, like skate videos, like I was like drawing a lot, painting a lot. I was kind of exploring all the way up until I moved to LA when I was like 21, 22. And when I finished the record, I was coincidentally living on a street called Valencia Avenue in Burbank, California. And so it was just really ironic because it was a timeline. I think the word Valencia means a lot of things that fit for the world of me like it references orange and like orange being the aura of creativity it represents florida it represents where i lived like it represents a timeline of what i've done creatively there's a lot of stories to be told with that name in relation to me mm. And I also wanted to ask, uh, while listening to this song, Lumbago, there was a conversation recorded at the end. What exactly was that? Was it between yourself and <laughs> your relatives? <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. I'm glad you asked that because no one really asks that. Um, the end of Lumbago, that's my mom giving me advice. 
And it was actually a conversation we had during like a couple months into quarantine. As a kid, surprisingly, I like grew up with kind of like a bad temper and just a lot of anxiety. And I think it kind of came back when we were just like at home a lot. I was getting in the process of like moving to New York, but then because of the pandemic, I had to just like stay. And we were just in this small apartment with me and like a lot of my family, just like me, my parents, my brother, my cousin, and like a small apartment and my other, yeah. And so I was just kind of getting like really anxious every day. And so my mom was just telling me to like breathe and relax and just calm down. And uh, I wanted to immortalize that message by putting it in the music. And then there's another skit, maybe like two, three songs after. And it's my dad telling me advice. So at some point in time in the album, there's voice memos of my parents like giving me advice. And how did you sort of decide the order of songs? Was there a particular kind of method? Like why you chose Lombardo first? Yeah, for sure. Uh, Lombago is one of the earlier songs I made. And I think what I do is I put all these songs in a playlist in no particular order. And then I just kind of put the ones that I feel sound the best next to each other and also tell the story that makes sense to me. And I think when you listen in order, it's actually telling like the story that I was trying to tell. It was just... There's an, there's an order to it. It's a, it's a mix of emotions. And I think it was an order when I was feeling these emotions. And now that Valencia's finished, you're sort of relaxing now. Do you already have plans of where you're planning to go next? Just keep making music, really. And I think just all, like, pushing visuals more. Like, making visuals more present in my music. Because I think... One thing I always lacked was like visuals that I was 100% happy with. And I want to be able to like make more short films, more more like cinematic feeling music videos. And I think those will be like a lot of the focus. The new music, always the music first, and then the visuals that come with the music. And what would you sort of like people to remember most about your music especially after sitting to Valencia is there something that you hope that they really take away that's a good question I think I think anything I think anything that I want them to be able to like have critical thinking when they listen to this project I want people to be able to make up their own narrative and message and like I want them to be able to decide what it is they took from it because it serves a lot of purposes for me personally because it's my music and I created it and I initially make all of it to just get things out of my chest and you know as a listener I feel like it's easy to listen to music your favorite music and they like kind of plays helping hands for you sometimes and I would hope that maybe it helps people through times that they're going through or one thing I do hope is that someone listens to a line and be like, I relate completely to that line. Like, even if it's just one line, it could be the whole song, it could be the whole album, but like that feeling that I have as a listener too, I listen to music and sometimes like, man, that line right there made me feel a type of way. And like, I'm not alone. I'm not alone in feeling that way. I want people to find those lines in my music and feel like they feel that same way so that they know they're not alone. And I think that's really important to me. 
Beautiful. And where can our listeners sort of find you? Where's the best place to follow your work and follow you? Probably YouTube and Spotify and stuff. Instagram, social media. Maybe I'm the most personal on Instagram. I stopped tweeting for a while, but I'm like starting to tweet again. So maybe Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. And thanks so much, Yi. That's all the questions I have. Thank you for giving us your time. Of course. Thank you. Thanks again to you for speaking to us tonight and sharing all the insights into his latest album, Valencia. Now we're going to kick off with a song from his latest album called Lumbago, the opening track. One of the songs that we mentioned in our discussion tonight. So we hope you enjoy it and be sure to follow Yeek on social media just by typing Y-E-E-K. This is Lumbago on CN at 90.7's Asian Pop Nation. Now we're going to get into a discussion about a game that has piqued our interest. So let's hear what the team has to say. So indie games. Yeah, everyone loves it. Xenia, you like indie games? I don't really play them, but I do like watching them and hearing about them. Oh, yeah. Uh, you, just go and, you just go on the internet and watch playthroughs, right? <laughs> That's yeah, how it goes. exactly. Yeah. Well, listen, Xenia, I know you're doing journalism for your major, and uh, we have this little game that I think you would really like. It's called Embedded, and you play as Henry Morris, this uh, retired photojournalist who reflects back on his work during the Vietnam War. So wow. he was a photojournalist back in, in the Vietnam War. Basically, you as the player, you play as him, and you basically make all these choices as a photojournalist. You choose what things you take photos of, uh, how you conduct your interviews, right? Like what kind of questions you ask these soldiers, so on and so forth. And all of these choices uh, that you make kind of, they affect the story that you send out to the press. A very interesting game. And from what I've seen in the comments, it's very neutral. Like it's not patronizing. The game's not patronizing. It's like you do this choice, this happens, right? And so on and so forth. Pretty, I imagine it's a pretty confronting game, right? Like, what do you think of this, Xenia? Uh, I think it's, yeah, it is quite confronting. And it does deal with some topical issues that are relevant to today. I think a lot of uh. us, especially with social media, are still trying to grapple with understanding how media gives us a, a view of reality that doesn't necessarily reflect the true reality. And I yeah. guess it's a similar case with the Vietnam War is that a lot of the photos, a lot of the stories that were covered are have some kind of agenda in mind or a story or side in mind. So it'll be interesting to see whether, as a player playing this game, will you a- be able to stay completely neutral or will you be, I guess, more persuaded to be on one side more than the other, especially through images that, that you take. And maybe some people might be surprised that the images they took, which they thought were against the Vietnam War actually ends up promoting a more pro-Vietnam War message. I'm not sure of how that will work. Well, basically, it just you, anything you do it can get twisted around, right? Yeah. Yeah, as it is. But how about Celeste and Anne? Do you have thoughts on the game, whether you, you'd play it, some questions or issues you think might arise? I'm interested in it, um, mostly because a lot of people just play games because of the fun aspect. This one isn't necessarily fun it more draws on emotion and yeah I think that just 
taking photos of certain things that happen within the game, such as like there's a picture of it where a house is burning and the soldiers um, guiding people or like guiding, I say in quotation marks. Um, Mm. Yeah, it's kind of scary to think what it was like during those times Um, and then having you make the certain decisions to do certain things. I like those sorts of games. It makes like the moral dilemma sort of things. Um, yeah, and I also think this game is also, um, built for VR. So for anyone who wants to play this game, um, you'll need a VR headset for it. Oh, no! <laughs> hold on, hold on. I, wait, let me just double check. Um, actually, maybe no, you don't have to. Um, what I read was it was made for VR, but like it looks like you can play it without a VR headset, so it's mm-hmm. all right. <laughs> maybe it's just more immersive with a VR headset. Yeah. That's cool. Oh, I, I guess it's not cool, but... Like, very, it really is trying to get you into the mind and into the shoes of a journalist at the time. But Aaron, what about you? What do you think? I think I would give this game a shot, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds interesting. And it's actually, but looks like it's like a school project, like not school, like university project or something like that. But well, I'm still giving this game a shot, to be honest. I'm willing to have a look at it. Mm-hmm. There is VR. I'm assuming VR is not involved with it, but if it is, I'll just have to go to my friend's house and see if I can borrow it. Yeah, same. <laughs> Leech on our connection. Yeah. But it's interesting how I think a lot of people, especially, uh, might discredit video games as a way of learning. Um, and I think this one is a good example of it being a learning experience or an ex- experience where you actually can... It's more explicit what you learn from this game and what kind of lessons that it's trying to provide about media about the truth and about our perceptions of storytelling and how that can be skewed yeah i hope do you know celeste so if there are if this is just an independent project by someone or if it's by a game development company it's by a team um i've lost the link to who they were as a like team name mm-hmm. um but you can check out the game on itch.io. You can search up Joe Wise or search up the name Embedded and you'll find it there. Awesome. Yeah, if anyone's actually played the game, we'd love to hear what you thought. And if anyone of us actually start playing the game, we'd love to hear <laughs> what you think maybe from a later show. But let us know at facebook.com forward slash Asian Pop Nation or on Twitter and Instagram at Asian Pop Nation. Yeah, and last thing to mention, it's also only on Windows. So sorry for anyone who owns a Mac. <laughs> I have to invest in Windows. <laughs> now we're going to jump into another discussion. And the final one for tonight, as we talk a little bit and reflect on the Melbourne International Comedy Festival and the role race plays in comedy. Take it away. Now, some sad news, or I guess news that we wish had gone forever is that the Melbourne International Comedy Festival actually ended on May 18th with some notable performances showcasing some famous Asian comedians, including one of the performances, which was Indian All-Star Comedy Showcase. We had Aaron Chan's Sorry Forever, Archie Vincent's And No, I Did Not Grow Up Doing Yoga, and Amna B's Don't Tell My Family and more. And throughout all of these, it seems like there's quite a theme of how race is now becoming quite a hot topic within comedy and Celeste you went to see a show actually at the Melbourne Comedy Festival was it Daniel Sloss? Yeah I went to see Daniel Sloss for his uh, show called Hubris and for those of you who don't know who he is he's a Scottish comedian 
I know you're probably thinking, why am I mentioning him? Because he's not Asian. But his um, show, he talked about race and using it within comedy and how there are so many dynamics to it, especially when it toes the line between like talking about race with malicious intent like that's not okay because that's basically racism but if there's no malicious intent behind it then it can be a fun experience for everyone and then like another dynamic you mentioned was how he really loved doing comedy in areas that were multicultural because he comes from Scotland I remember him saying it was either 95% of people in Scotland are Scottish like they don't have that many people of color within Scotland so doing race jokes would go over their heads because they have nothing to reference Mm. so he was really amazed when he went to America he attended a comedy show oh yeah also for those who haven't seen Hubris yet and are planning to I'm sorry I might have spoiled a bit of stuff (laughs) oh well so you mentioned going to America and you're surprised when like say a white comedian would get up and like joke about Asians or black people and stuff like that. But the thing was those communities were laughing at the jokes. So you were saying, yeah, as long as there's no malicious intent behind it, then it's okay. And one thing that I can think of is like, especially when Asians make comedy, uh, especially against other Asians, we like to kind of crap on each other a bit. I don't know if anyone... <laughs> has that same experience but I like last year I went to a queer comedy show for um Asian people and I had a comedian Joanne come from Malaysia just completely roast me what yeah (laughs) she asked me who um was it what my background was and I was like I'm Chinese and then she just went off and roasted me as the one Chinese person only because I was sitting front row on center but yeah like Asians like to crap on each other yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah so Daniel Sloss he did a was a, a mention about his experience um going to Japan he got to travel there and something that he found really fascinating and it was a part of his comedy act was that um their surprised reaction was like super exaggerated it was like whoa something and I think like for everyone who isn't acquainted to Japan and Japanese people like, they'll find the way they speak can be super exaggerated in their expressions and stuff. Like, I don't know, when, Xenia, um, JP, when you study Japanese, did you find certain Japanese expressions really weird compared to Australian? I find that there's a lot of emphasis on making sure that the speaker feels comfortable. Like, <laughs> with a lot of, um, you know, so this and that, you always have to interject with what we call aizuchi in I'm not sure if you remember Celeste studying in Japanese, uh, those kind of interjections to sort of really show that you're listening, but also like reactions with Japanese conversation partners throughout studying Japanese. You sort of find that they're, yeah, they, they, they're very good audience members, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> what about you, JP? What did you do? Um, yeah, it's, it's strange because in different spheres in that in private matters and such, you're, you're more polite to each other. But if you watch Japanese TV shows and stuff, their reactions are always like, oh, sugoi And then like the camera zooms in and there's like this big bright text on the screen. So I feel like that aspect of, I guess, Japanese etiquette is probably what he saw uh, doing those comedy shows there. Yeah, yeah. interesting stuff. So because of that, he was so surprised by it. He was just like, oh, my gosh, he, well, you have to get other people to do the same reactions. So, <laughs> he, like, super exaggerated. It was funny uh, because, like, I totally understand because I've seen the um, reactions J- Japanese have. And it's just like, whoa, that's so 
we, yeah, we don't do this in western culture like they're just really nice they're really nice yeah. in that way yeah yeah mind you i was a little uncomfortable at the beginning when he started talking about japanese people because i wasn't exactly sure where this was going to lead um yeah. considering 2020 happened and there was a lot of like asian hate sort of things going on but like as he progressed, it's like it got better and better and better. Um, he did make a comment going, "Did you know that Japanese people really hate Chinese people?" And I think I was the only one who laughed in the audience, um, mostly because the audience this time was mostly white. Yeah, <laughs> there weren't uh... as many other people. But like you know, it kind of felt nice to be included as an Asian person in comedy. How would you both or like? All three of you enjoy that experience. Would you like like something like that? No, or? I'd love it. I'd love that yeah. sort of thing, right? Because it's open and honest, right? It's just yeah. right there. You know, I'd rather these comedians not tippy toe, you know, because once yeah. they tippy toe, oh everyone everyone starts getting tense, you know, and scared. Oh, <laughs> right, all this tension comes up, and it, it stops being funny, you know. So, yeah, uh, it's so hard yeah. in the world where we're all like worried about being politically correct and stuff. Right, you say you say one wrong thing and everyone cancels you on Twitter. You know? Yeah, <laughs> don't don't go on Twitter. That place is no good. Yeah, I I do enjoy it when in a non malicious way, like you said, Celeste. People do talk about race because it almost really opens up that discussion and that feeling that you're not alone. That yes, like a mainly with other Asian comedians, you know, they often bring up their relationships with their parents about being pressured to study a particular subject or um, those kinds of familial experiences that are quite cultural that makes you feel like experience you had growing up are something that connects all of you. But then also when it's interesting to get a perspective from people who perhaps don't feel like they belong in those kinds of cultures and sort of see what they think about each other and how I think also it's interesting when other people of a similar colour see like a, a comedian coming to terms with learning about a different culture perhaps might encourage them to open up and understand them a bit better as well. So, yeah, I think it's good to open that discussion because I know a lot of people who perhaps might not identify with a particularly marginalized community and they feel uncomfortable ever bringing it up um, because they're scared to offend. Um, <laughs> so I think that it's natural. It's just nice that comedy is a good way to, to break that anxiety and sort of have that conversation to start asking questions, to start learning more from a, a good natured place, I would say. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's always been the function of comedy, right? Like to speak the truth. Yeah, in a, right. in a funny way. <laughs> yeah, as well, especially like to speak truths that people are too scared to say, right? Like historically, or like even in mythology, right? The, the jester in the royal court, he's always the dumb, funny one, but he's always speaking the truth in one way or another, you know? So, uh, yeah, keep on being funny if you're a comedian <laughs> listening to this. Yeah. It's also a good way to navigate that fear, I think, because... I find personally that if I'm in a situation that I'm a bit awkward in, I try to laugh my way out of it. Or if there's oh, something yeah. that was particularly uncomfortable to me, the way that I tend to cope, perhaps it's not a good way to cope. It's like <laughs> trying to make fun or of the situation I was in to make it seem like, oh, it wasn't really as serious as it seems. Um, so it has its pros and cons, but it's also <laughs> like a good, <laughs> but it's a good way of like, I suppose, it's a coping mechanism. Yeah. And yeah. that's kind of how I sort of see comedy as well, is that humour is a way of putting the truth in a more positive light or in a more humorous light. So, yeah, yeah. Breaking barriers. So. Yeah. 
Go comedy. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Aaron? Do you know many Asian comedians? And what's your sort of thoughts on race being a part of comedy? I'm glad that we get a diverse cast of culture to be involved with comedy shows. I think they have uh, a lot of, well, point, uh, a positive negative to it. Mm. which I still think is a good thing. We get to see it's like what works and what doesn't work. But again, I've never been to a comedy festival before my life. So there's that. Yeah, I think that's all I can say, really, to be honest. And also, I don't know anything about any comedians, really, to be honest. I'm not good at that. Go on Netflix. Watch the stand-up comedy line there. It's great. (laughs) I just watch stand-up when I'm like, (laughs) when I procrastinate. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just nice. Because uh, every comedian has a different sort of taste and humor. So it's sometimes hard to choose. But how did you come to know Daniel Celeste? I'm surprised that none of you know him well. Um, he's pretty famous. Yeah. He's been on other shows such as um, when he came down for the two weeks quarantine, the project, a um, bunch of radio stations wanted to chat with him as well because oh. he's just that well known. And the reason is because um, he's got two Netflix special shows on at the moment. Um, you can view them there. If you want to see his two acts, one is called Dark, the other is called Jigsaw. And Jigsaw is the most famous one because it has broken up so many relationships because oh. of the content that he says um, in regards to relationships. So, yeah, it's just broken so many couples up. And Daniel Sloss likes to say he's saved so many people. I'll have to check this out because from the lineup that we mentioned earlier in the discussion, I only really knew Aaron Chen. <laughs> <laughs> Because of his um, stand-up on uh, when he met a, a woman on a flight who assumed that he spoke Chinese and help, um, made him help her with the immigration declaration document. So, yeah, I, I definitely check him out, especially with what you said about Jigsaw. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Are you going to break up your relationship? Like, no, no. <laughs> I think it's more like, what did he say that was so controversial that kind of caused split but so next week we'll find out if Zinia still oh (laughs) no searching it up right now yeah (laughs) I'm gonna watch it after this (laughs) yeah if you went to the Melbourne Comedy Festival let us know because we'd love to hear what you how you found it because I still haven't gone to a comedy festival each year I'm like so yeah we should go you should pick one but I don't know how you pick them especially since I'm not too familiar with the comedy scene so Sometimes people just drag me to it, so I'm just like, oh, okay. Or was this one that you? Oh no, Daniel Sloss is like someone I actually wanted to see, but some people just drag me to it, and I just go for the fun of it because it's nice to just sit down and have a laugh. Sometimes, yeah, you're surprised who you find funny, so maybe I do that next time, just like randomize and then pick one. But yeah, let us know on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter about your thoughts on the comedy festival and on race in comedy. And yeah, thank you everyone for sharing your thoughts. Thanks for listening to myself, Celeste, Aaron and John Paul. We're glad to have you. And if you missed out on any of our discussions or our interview with Filipino and American artist Yeek, you can check it out on the Asian Pop Nation podcast and you can find that wherever you stream your podcasts. Be sure to follow us on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And you can tell us about some song requests you'd like us to play here on the show and also give us any tips of what we should talk about next week. But we already have some exciting things planned, so do stay tuned next week from Tuesday nights at 8pm here on SIN. This is APN's EP Senya, signing off.